Well, if you brought a copy of God's Word, open it with me to Psalm chapter 3. It's great to get to be with you here today. This weekend, I feel a little bit like the movie Encanto. Um, what the movie taught and why the movie was such a success is because what it touched on was that every single one of us often gets stereotyped into one sort of section, don't they? It's easy for, maybe, maybe you play a lot of video games, so someone calls you a video gamer, you're just, you're in that section, or maybe you're an Instagrammer, or whatever it is, and you're in that section. What Encanto taught us is that people are a lot more multifaceted than what they immediately look like. And uh, I can tell you, Willie could tell you, I love having fun. I fully enjoy having fun. I like to laugh. Um, but also, one of the things, and that's why I feel like a little bit different, one of the things is that just because you love to have fun doesn't mean that you don't ever have a serious thought. And so tonight's message is a little bit more serious. So we're going to go ahead and just ask God to bless us through his word and then look at this together. Father God, you are the one who draws hearts to yourself and where else can we go? Jesus, you're the one that we were made to know. And I pray you'd fill me with your spirit, that you give strength to my voice to speak, and that you would speak to our hearts, that you'd use your word, that you'd use these stories to open our eyes to see that life is hard, but you are still good. Father, there are different people in different areas of life right now. They've gone through some really, really difficult things. Others have had a pretty easy life so far. Some are from split families. Some are from um, mom and dad have been there the whole time. Some go to church. Some don't really go to church. You know exactly where everyone is, God, and you're the one who works in their lives. I'm asking you to do that through your word tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. February 24, 2012, I was with a group of friends from Faith Baptist Bible College. We were all having a great time ice skating together, all of us that is except for one person. Her phone rang, she answered it, and heard the dreaded news that her mother, who was only 54 years old, had just died. Her mom would turn 65 years old today. She crumpled into a ball of tears on the floor as 10 Bible College students looked for words and Bible passages to help her and found that we came up extremely short. On August 31st of that same year, on her 19th birthday, I asked that girl to date me, and she said yes. And our first Christmas together was her first Christmas without her mom, and you could feel the gap that was left by her mom's absence. January 2015, I came to IRBC to this retreat as a counselor, Within two hours of being here, I had dislocated my knee, broken my wrist, which would eventually lead to the removal of three bones from my wrist. You can still see the scar. They cut me open right there, and I have a permanent disability in my right hand. After falling, a tough 16-year-old football player carried me in the snow right below Jensen. I remember feeling really silly, but uh, here was my camper, and here he is just carrying me through the snow. And then that summer, I was at camp with him, and I had to carry him as he and his friends recoiled from the shock after finding out, we'll go to the next slide here, that Grace Harkin had been hit and killed by a car on her way home from work. I remember him weeping on my shoulder and squeezing me so hard I could barely breathe as he wrestled with the grief of losing someone who he had gone to youth group with. 2016 came and I met Rachel Jeffers and her name has been changed for the sake of her privacy. 
She was divorced and remarried to a man who wanted little to do with Christ or our church. On her wedding night, her first husband, upon arriving at their motel, looked her right in the face and said, I know you don't believe in divorce, so I'm going to do whatever I want to you, whenever and wherever I want. And so began her abusive relationship. And I literally could go on for an hour about the drunkard who verbally abused his wife, his fourth wife, while pretending to be the godliest person in the world, about families that were split because an uncle decided to rape his nieces. I could tell of women who had over five miscarriages. I could tell you of a man who was a new member to our church and was seriously injured while serving in the church and we thought he died. But why do I tell you all this? It's because this week I'm sharing with you three realities that I did not believe, even though they're clear in Scripture. Reality number one is that life is hard. And I love you guys. I want you to know that if all the difficulties in this room were put up on the screen, some of my stories would seem like I've never seen any difficulty at all. If some of you could tell your story, many of us would be amazed at the pain that you've gone through, even just as teenagers. Some of you are ensnared to habitual sin and it's destroying your life. Others of you are from a, you're split between mom and dad and you hate it. Some of you are so terrorized by what people think of you that you cut yourself at night just to control your own pain. Others have been sexually abused by people who claim to love you and told that if you ever tell, you'll get killed or that no one will love you or that it was your, your fault. It's made you not trust anybody, and now you're even confused about whether you're a boy or a girl. I want you to know that life is hard, but it isn't hopeless. Here's a, vo- a verse that I've shared with several people recently. Psalm 94, verse 19, came to me at a time that I was struggling. It says, when I am filled with cares, your comfort brings me joy. Not if I have cares, when I am filled with cares, and I have, to re- I have to realize that some of you might have come in here this weekend and your heart is filled with cares, with difficulties that you are going through. But why is life hard? What makes life so hard? Point number one is people hurt you. What makes life hard is that people hurt you. A visitor walked into St. Ansgar Baptist Church, which is where I pastor at, and it was in 2017 or 18. He was walking in there with his wife, and he had a thick study Bible. And I was like, oh, great, to someone who's serious about God. I got up and preached, most likely a mediocre sermon. He came up afterwards ecstatic with the message. Every word he said was praise, and he worshiped the ground on which I walked. And I thought, finally, someone who gets it. I am awesome. Him and his wife immediately jumped in, or so it seemed, and as time went on, he was requiring more and more attention. Then he got mad at me once, but he got over it. Then it all happened. I didn't respond to his text for more than 24 hours. How dare I? That was it. I clearly wasn't a good pastor, and I didn't care about him at all, so he left the church for a while. But then he came back like a dog with his tail between its legs and admitted that he overreacted. And this really was the best church around, he told me. Until it wasn't. We went through marriage counseling, drunkenness counseling, insults. I got drunk hate texts from him. He called me names. 
I went on a thousand mile, three day, intensive, $3,000 counseling trip with him. Thinking that things were better and then last year everything hit the fan, he removed his membership, made me feel like a fool. And now this month he's divorcing his fourth wife. I was so angry. I felt like a fool for investing so much time into him. I had trusted him with secrets I hadn't told others. And I thought after all I have done for him, after all I've sacrificed, after all my family has done for him, how could he do this to me? And then I thought of this verse. Luke 22, verse 47. While he was still speaking, there came a crowd, and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, he was leading them, and he drew near to kiss him. And you guys know the story of Judas Iscariot, I'm guessing, but what Judas was is Judas was Jesus' friend. He's right there, he's Jesus' friend, and he draws near to kiss and to portray Jesus. People hurt you. That's one of the reasons why life is so hard. But it isn't hopeless. People hurt you, but God will help. If you have your copy of God's Word open, Psalm 3 says this, Lord, how my foes increase. There are many who attack me. Many are saying about me, there is no hope for him in God. But you, Lord, are a shield around me. You're my glory and the one who lifts up my head. I cry aloud to the Lord and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not be afraid of thousands of people who have taken their stand against me on every side. Can you imagine if you had thousands of people attacking you personally? Can you imagine what that would be? Like I had one guy who didn't like me and I'm like, woe is me. My life is so hard. And here the psalmist says, thousands have gathered against me. Rise up, O Lord, verse 7. Save me, my God. You strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. May your blessing be on your people. I could go on, and I actually am going to tell you more of these stories in Sermon 3. I could tell you, though, of a neighbor who just freaked out on me, threw my church member's tools across the floor, and he literally peeled out of his garage of a couple who had been members for over 30 years in our church and left because they said I wasn't speaking the truth and they no longer go to church. Of a grade schooler who showed up to school, he took his school picture, handed it to his best friend. His best friend looked at it, tore it up in front of him, and said, you're the ugliest person I've ever met. His best friend said that to him. I could tell you of a girl who had a friend show her same-sex pornography and she's had to battle those thoughts since then. I could tell you of a guy who was making, smoking, and selling meth and it almost destroyed his family. But if you knew the story of everyone in here, I'm going to keep going back to that. If you knew the story of everyone in here, you'd find out that and much worse. Life is hard, but it isn't hopeless. People hurt you, but God will help you. Secondly... Life is hard because sin defiles you. Sin defiles you. There he was at the pinnacle of his career. He had what every man his age craved. He had women, he had power, he had skill, he had good looks, he had money and all the food he could ever want. But one night he looked down from his tower and he saw a woman bathing, called her to his castle, slept with her, got her pregnant. And what unfolded next is a conglomeration of cover-up, straight-up evil, from the man that God called a man after my own heart. 
But here's what he wrote later. He said, my bones, he's talking about sin. And he said, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up like the heat of summer. I remember sitting where you guys sit. I was a good little kid. I wasn't so much of a little kid. I was a good teenager. You know, I went to church every, every service that was there. I served on the bus ministry. I was in youth group regularly. I tried to be good. I tried to listen to my parents. I read my Bible every single day. But I had hidden sin. And that might be you here today, and you know exactly what this verse is talking about. My bones wasted away. Maybe you're one of those people who haven't been hurt by many others. You're like me, from a Christian family with mom and dad and siblings. You go to church. Deep down, you don't know why, because you don't really pay attention. You go to youth group. You know all the books of the Bible. Maybe you have awards from Awana, and you might even have read your Bible every day like a good Christian, but it has no power in your life. At 17 years old, I was a young man with raging passions. I'd never had anyone explain sex to me. And I did not know that not only was sex not a naughty word, but that it was a good gift from God reserved for marriage and to be enjoyed in a marriage relationship without shame. That sex was actually God's idea, not the world's idea. I never had anyone explain that to me. Instead, you know where I learned about sex from? Google. And Google's a horrible teacher. I was exposed to pornography at 17, which radically altered my brain and led to a series of hiding, shame, and fear that if anyone found out, they would never love me again. It transferred into video game addiction, Facebook addiction, YouTube addiction, but each one was simply escaping my own reality to be in a place where I could cultivate my own image, to be someone that I wasn't. And I totally knew what this verse was like. My bones wasted away because of my sin. God's hand, loving hand, it turns out, was heavy upon me. So I wonder if I speak to anyone here who knows that life is hard. Is sin defiling you? I still remember to this day, first exposure to pornography, going to church that first Sunday. And I saw one of the deacons, a man that I loved, a man that was so kind and so gracious, and I thought, I, I just want to tell someone, I need help. Whatever, whatever this was, is I know it's bad. And I wanted to go to him, and I, here's what I thought. I thought, but then he'll think less of my dad. Then he'll think my dad's not a good pastor because he's not keeping his kids in control. Then he won't like me. Maybe he'll reject me. So I kept quiet, and I didn't get any help. Life is hard, but it isn't hopeless. People hurt you, but God will help you. Sin defiles you, but God can cleanse you. And that's even what Psalm 32 verse 1 says, Blessed is the person whose transgression is covered. And isn't that the good news of the gospel? Is that the good news of the gospel is that we're awful. <laughs> we're actually way worse than we think we are. When you go to your own thoughts and desires. Here I am, a, a Baptist pastor's kid who's still living in sin. Why? Because that's my nature. But the good news is that Christ on the cross took all that sin 
and it was laid on him. And so God could look at me through Christ and say, justified, declared innocent. Sin defiles you, and that makes life hard. Number three, sorrow threatens to overwhelm you. Sorrow threatens to overwhelm you. Go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 73. Psalm 73 is where we'll be in just a little bit. Sorrow threatens to overwhelm you. If you remember that verse I shared at the beginning, when my heart is filled with cares, your comfort gives me joy. Another translation says, when my heart is filled with cares, your comfort brings me joy. I remember one Wednesday night, leading prayer meeting, I received a text from a family who was here at Family Camp 5. They were having a good time until their mother had suddenly had a massive medical emergency that ended up taking her life. I gathered with the family and I didn't know what to say. Sadly, I made a few jokes to try to get the family to laugh, which if you've ever lost someone, that's really bad. (laughs) Uh, If you ever go into ministry, if God's calling you into ministry, guys, let me just tell you in advance, if someone's just lost a loved one, jokes are not the best thing, okay? Please don't do that. But there I am at the hospital, and I'm I'm cracking jokes to try to get the family to laugh. It was bad. They were gracious with me. They loved me. Uh, They helped me. But I should have remembered the old saying, you ever heard this, better to keep your mouth shut and be thought a fool than to open it and remove all doubt? Have you ever heard that? The family was gracious to me, though, and we're still close friends. But years later, I heard of a friend who was in his 50s. He fell and he re-injured himself, resulting in his death. The funeral was the saddest I'd ever been to, and it broke my heart to see Christians with so little joy. And then it came time for my first ever funeral that I had to do. And I still remember it. I was nervous as all get out. I walked into the church. I walked up to the 70-plus-year-old dad. I shook his hand, and I said, I'm sorry. And just with tears in his eyes, he says, a dad shouldn't have to bury their daughter. His daughter had had a brain aneurysm. She was poor, and her insurance only covered treatment in Iowa. And the treatment was two weeks out. And so she didn't get to the hospital in time. She died in her 50s. That was the first funeral I had to do. Look at this verse. John 16, 33. I have told you these things so that in you, me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. I had that verse memorized. You know, you have to memorize that for Awana or for youth group or for something. Yeah, I've told you these things that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. You know what that is? That's a promise. You will have suffering in this world. Do you actually believe that? I didn't. I didn't actually believe that. I mean, I would tell you I did, but I didn't actually think it would happen to me. Do you believe that you will have suffering? Do you believe that Jesus has conquered this world? That in Jesus you can have peace? I thought I did. And 2014 was a glorious year for me. Just before the year began, I got engaged, which was exciting. She said yes. I still remember pushing her away from me. We were taking pictures, 
And I, I bought a ring, and I don't know what's up with ring makers, but they put them, the box, I kid you not, was like this big. Do you know how big a ring is? It's tiny. And the box was like this big. And so we're taking couple pictures, and I had it all planned out. And the reason I had it planned out to do it this time was because my wife, literally the week before, I'd planned this really, really special date, this really romantic date. We're going to go to this night. And romantic when you're in college is a little different than when you're an adult. You're like, oh, that's actually not as romantic as I thought. But anyway, we're going to go to this really nice restaurant. She looks me straight in the face. And goes, Aaron, are you going to propose to me on this trip? I'm like, not anymore. So I canceled the date. I did. She's not going to know when I'm proposing. So there we are. We're taking pictures. And, and uh, we come down to the section where I'm going to propose. And the camera lady knows it. And I get down on one knee for a picture. But remember I said that box is this big? I get down on one knee for a picture, and she's supposed to sit on my leg for the picture. And I try to pull the ring out of my pocket, and it's stuck because, you know, my pants are tight now. She goes to sit down, and I literally, like, shove her off my leg. I was so nervous. She said yes, though. It was a great year. Then on January 19th, a church called me, the church where I'm at right now, they called me to be their interim preacher, and they paid me $350 a week. I thought I was loaded. Over Christmas break, I walked in. It was really funny. I, I walked in to a nursing home. My dad's like, hey, Aaron, why don't you go with me? We're gonna, I'm going to go visit this lady in a nursing home. I'm like, all right, whatever. I love going to nursing homes. That's awesome. Uh, so we go into this nursing home, and a, a, another family is there from the church. And this is big, tough guy. He was a welder. He'd shake your hand. You know some people, like, you shake their hand and you go, that person's a hard worker. Because you can tell by their handshake. Because <laughs> their hands are like sausages. You know, it's like, that was that guy. And I walk into the room. And there's the lady laying there on the bed. And, and here's the guy. And he starts crying. I'm like, something's up. She's not dead. She's right there looking at me. So it's not that. And he comes and he shakes my hand, crying, can't really talk. And I, I'm like, I have no clue what's happening. Yeah. And he hands me the title to a car. She wasn't going to get to leave the nursing home anymore, and she wanted to give me the car. And I was just like, whoa, someone just gave me a car with under 100,000 miles on it. Again, I thought I was the coolest person in the world. It was a beautiful maroon Chevy Lumina. Side note, just because this will be funny for you. Side note, my fiance at the time didn't know I got this car and I was going to surprise her. I drive up in this car. I said, check out my car. She immediately begins laughing. I'm like, this is my first car. Don't laugh at my first car. It was the exact same make and model and color as her ex-boyfriend's car. <laughs> But anyway, back to the story. The lady, she's like, well, the car is free, but gas isn't. So here's 100 bucks. She gives me $100 cash to go buy gas for my car. And then the church that I just started preaching regularly at, they paid for my 
They paid for my school bill. And then on May 23rd, 2014, I was married to the love of my life. And our marriage started off perfectly until we left the church. It didn't really, it wasn't that bad. It lasted longer than that. But we got married and two weeks later we started as the full-time pastor of the church I was just a preacher at. And then we tried to have kids. And in college I remember thinking, you know, how many kids do you want to have? And I had that conversation, how many kids do you want to have? How many kids do you want to have? And I had never stopped to consider how many kids does God want us to have? Days bled into weeks, weeks bled into months, and months bled into two years of trying. Infertility hung like prison doors over our marriage. And we had to wrestle through what it meant to possibly desire to have kids and never get to have kids. As you saw from the picture, God has blessed us. We have two wonderful children by God's grace. But some of you here have untold sorrow, maybe a, re- maybe a recent relationship that has ended, anxiety and depression that weigh you down, maybe you've lost a loved one, maybe your parents are getting divorced, or maybe being a follower of God and watching your friends and family make decisions to bring pain is causing you pain. I want you to know that life is hard, but it isn't hopeless. People hurt you, but God helps you. Sin defiles you, but God can cleanse you. Sorrow threatens to overwhelm you, but God's comfort can bring you joy. And then fourthly, evil opposes you. We're going to have a whole sermon on this. The third sermon is going to be about Satan is real. And I just want you to mull over in your minds until then. Do you believe in evil? You don't have to answer that now, but genuinely ask yourself, do you believe in evil or that people are basically good? Okay, point five. You don't believe the Bible is true. You want to know one thing that I guarantee will make your life hard? Not believing the Bible is true. And I say that because you're at a Bible camp. (laughs) If you come to a Bible camp, you're going to a Bible church, you're trying to hear the word of God, but you don't believe it's true, it's going to make life miserable for you guys. I haven't said this too much, but I remember being a 20-something-year-old pastor alone in my office, alone with my doubts. Some call it deconversion, but the process of deconversion had begun. I was questioning everything. What if I'm not really saved and didn't understand the gospel when I was four? If I am saved, why am I having doubts? What if none of this is real? What if the Bible is just a hoax and I'm literally investing my entire life into a lie? What if there is no creator who cares for me and made me? What if everyone at IRBC in my church is just faking it? What if I'm missing out on the true life? Are you in Psalm 73 with me? Psalm 73, 1 through 2 says, Truly God is good to to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. Verse 3, For I envied the arrogant. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. 
They have an easy time until they die and their bodies are well fed. They're not in trouble like others. They're not afflicted like most people. Therefore, pride is their necklace and violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge out from fatness. Their imaginations of their heart run wild. They mock and they speak maliciously. They're arrogant. They arrogantly threaten oppression. They set their mouths against heaven and their tongues strut across the earth. Therefore, his people turn to them and drink their overflowing words. Did you catch that? God's people turn to arrogant people and drink their overflowing words. Have you ever heard of Joe Rogan? There are a lot of Christians turning to him for their main advice. Have you ever heard of Mr. Beast? Wow. Have you ever heard of Mr. Beast? Oh, thank goodness. I'm like, I can't, he's not, he's still cool, right? No? Arak? Anyway. Anyway. Verse 10. See? You get excited about YouTubers, don't you? TikTok, whatever. Verse 10. Therefore, his people turn to them and drink their overflowing words. The wicked say, how can God know? Does the Most High know everything? Look at them, the wicked. They're always at ease. They increase their wealth. Did I purify my heart and wash my hands in innocence for nothing? For I'm afflicted all day long and punished every morning. If I had decided to say these things aloud, I would have betrayed your people. When I tried to understand all this, it seemed hopeless until I entered God's sanctuary. Then I understood their destiny. Indeed, you put them in slippery places. You make them fall into ruin. How suddenly they become a desolation. They come to an end, swept away by terrors. Like one waking from a dream, Lord, when arising, you will despise their image. Then he says, when I became embittered, my inmost being was wounded. I was stupid and didn't understand. I was an unthinking animal toward you. Yet I'm always with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me up to glory. Who do I have in heaven but you? And I desire nothing on earth but you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God's the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will certainly perish. You destroy all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, God's presence is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge so I can tell about all you do. The Bible says, sanctify them through your truth. Your word is truth. And Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And I want you to ask yourself, what do you believe is truth? It's really, really popular to deconvert or to abandon your faith. And it often happens a lot at your age. But ask yourself, what are you abandoning your faith for? Abandoning faith in God and his word is not abandoning faith. It's just putting your faith in something else. What is that something else? Be honest with yourself. Is it whatever you feel it to be? Have your feelings ever been wrong? Is it whatever your favorite internet sensation says? Have they ever been wrong? Is it what the scientists say? Have the scientists ever been wrong? What do you actually believe? That's, that's really the question I want to push home all weekend long. What do you actually believe? What you actually believe is seen in how you live, not in what you say. I don't recommend struggling with deconverting. I heard a word re- recently that said disentangling. I was like, I like that better. I don't struggle or recommend struggling with deconverting as a pastor, but I am glad I struggled. Too many of you don't struggle because you never actually ask yourself what you believe. 
You don't look at what you pursue and say, what am I believing is the true life? I still have questions about my faith that are unanswered, and I still struggle to believe some of what the Bible says. But I can tell you that life is hard when you don't believe your Bible. Now, I'm going to wrap it up with these two questions. These are two questions. If I were a good little preacher, I'd tie this all up with a pretty bow, have a great ending, which makes us leaving, feeling like unicorns walking on clouds. But I'm not going to, yeah. I think you probably could have figured that out by the tone of the sermon so far. I want to leave you with these two questions. Do you believe that your life is or will be hard? Do you believe that your life will be hard? Secondly, what are you trusting to help you face a hard life? What are you actually believing will help you as you face a hard life? Think about those things. We're going to go have lots of fun. I hope you have lots of fun this weekend. And if you're going through something and God's been using his word tonight, I'd be happy to talk to you, talk to your counselors too. Um, I don't have the answers for everything, but if you have something that you're going through that you'd just like to share with me, I will try to point you to scripture. God's word does have answers, and I would love to share those with you. Thanks for listening to me tonight. Let's go ahead and pray, and then we will go on to our next thing. Thank you, Father, for your word. And life is hard, but thank you that we have a strong assurance that God, if God is for us, you can be against us. Lord, I pray for each person in here. Use your spirit to work in their life through your word. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.